Welcome, everyone. We're about to begin. This is Shem BPJ number 30. That's Bias Panimi Joint Group Shear number 30 for both men and women. We're talking about the Eight Dates book by John Gottman and Julie Gottman and Doug Abrams and Rachel Abrams, which are essential conversations to connect, to make your marriage thrive, to make your marriage heal, and ongoing connectivity that just keeps on going deeper and deeper if you keep at it. And the first one we just started to talk about was the idea, date number one, what they call lean on me, trust and commitment. And before we go further, I'm going to relate another story, which is extremely important, that brings out this point that is written in the book about John Gottman's experience. Uh, So he said that years ago, he was working with a couple for several weeks. One night they showed up at their appointed time, and the couple said, they're done. And John was actually the sixth therapist that they had been to. As far as they're concerned, the therapies are failing, and they were going to break up with John as their therapist, and they're thinking it's time maybe to break up with each other as well. John was surprised, was a little sorry that they had to quit, because he thought that the case was going well, and he believed everyone was making progress. But John did something interesting, and by the way, this is something that shows his character, John Gottman, and how he is a scientist at heart of trying to find truth and trying to understand things. And he realized if they're saying it's not working, that means he failed on something. And he didn't like close it up or didn't let his ego get the better of him that I, I know better and they just don't know how to use my expertise. He didn't do anything of the sort. Instead, he said like this. He said, please do me a favor. You already paid for this session. Would you be willing to stay and help me understand why my therapy failed for you? As a therapist, I have a commitment to myself to grow from my failures, so I want to understand where I went wrong. And the couple agreed to stay. And John asked them how their week was like, and the woman began that uh, we had a big argument. The husband interrupted her, um, and then he, he said, we went to a party, And I was in the middle of a great conversation with a woman I met there. And then my wife taps me on the shoulder. My wife taps me on the shoulder, like she always does, and she was tired and she wanted to go home and go to bed. So John nodded. He heard this couple fight tooth and nail between them before. And um, the husband was a businessman. She was a therapist who gave up her practice to stay home with the kids. And they always fought about time and about money and about who had the control of calling the shots of what's going on in the family. And John said, explain to me a little more what happened at this party uh, that led them to decide to end the therapy here. And the husband said, well, she was tired and wanted to leave. And on the car ride home, I told her that I found the woman at the party really attractive and had really enjoyed talking to her. And John listened, didn't respond as the man recalled that he told his wife that they never talked like that anymore. And he was turned on by a woman at a party because she was flirting with him, and his wife hadn't flirted with him in a long time. And John asked, what do you say to that? And the husband and the wife said, I got angry, told him to grow up and stop flirting with other women. And what were you thinking? And the woman, the wife paused and said, I was thinking that I wish I was married to a more mature man and that I could do better. 
And then John hopped, he hopped why the therapy didn't work and why they went to other five therapists before they came to him. And he said, you could go now, I know why your therapy isn't working and thank you very much. Couple heard this, they were stunned, they just sat there. Then they asked John Gottman, he says, please tell me, what did you learn from our argument now that made things so clear to you as to why the therapy didn't work? So John said like this, he said, when you two were in love and you got engaged, and you had a wedding, and you brought a house together, and you had two children together. All this is fine, but you really had no commitment into the relationship. You're always thinking maybe you can do better. So you meet a woman at the party, and you're having a good time talking to her and flirting with her, and you're comparing her to your own wife, thinking that you could do better. And when he, the husband, complains to you, wife, you also think that you could do better with a more mature man, so you're not really committed. So the husband fights back and says, not true. Everything I do is for my family. I sacrifice every day. What do you mean I'm not committed? Wife also said, not true. My commitment's not lacking either. I'm taking care of everything at home. I also have a stressful job. What do you mean we're not committed? I'm going to say word for word what he said. I guess if you guys don't know what Alice in Wonderland is, it will be a little bit unusual. It's a story. Actually, great story. Uh, good bathroom reading, if you're worried about Little Tyra, but it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's a fantasy. seems like childish, but it has a lot of deep concepts in it. So here's the story of Alice in Wonderland. Alice sees this unusual rabbit going down a hole, and she jumps in with her two feet. She has no idea what this journey is going to be like. And Wonder, Wonderland is called Alice in Wonderland. The Wonderland isn't really all a great place. There's scary things there. There's challenging things there. There are things that are also interesting and fascinating. It's an adventure. Alice doesn't know what's in store for her, but she jumps in anyway. She doesn't hesitate or think she, maybe a better rabbit will come along. She feels that in his heart she's embarking on a profound journey that despite the difficulties, it's still magical and it's still amazing. And she doesn't look back and doesn't question the adventure she's chosen. That is what commitment is. And you too, John was telling this couple, you too never did that. And again, just to say, before you're married and you make hezbollahness, that makes sense. Once you're married, you key in that commitment, and you never did that. You have the trappings of commitment and loyalty, but then you go to a party and think someone else can meet your needs better. You don't like each other's behavior, and you think that means that they're not the one for you. When you negotiate with each other, it's always in the point of self-interest, not mutual benefit. So you haven't really built trust. You haven't really built commitment or foundation of loyalty to each other because you're not really in this relationship. And that's why no therapist can help you. You're still both looking over your shoulder thinking the grass is greener on the other side. And if you follow that other rabbit down another rabbit hole, there will be a different wonderland. The couple listened to this, and they left somewhat stunned. A few months later, John called them to check up on them, and they said that after leaving John's office, they spent many nights talking about commitment, loyalty, what his words meant to them. They ended up moving to another state. They're seeing a new therapist, helping them discover why. Now they realized it was that concept of a lack of commitment and why they never formed a real secure attachment to each other. They're trying to figure that out, and why they never talked about their values and expectations that are based on loyalty and trust.
and commitment. And and now, by listening to them, John Gottman felt they have a fighting chance now that things could work out. The idea being, it's a fascinating thing. A lot of us are married, and it looks like we're committed. The wife is doing the shopping or cooking and sometimes part-time working or whatever she's doing. And he's working hard, making a living, going to share whatever it is. So in the external chitzainius of the relationship, it looks like, of course I'm committed. I'm doing things as a married man that's an, that a, a normal married man is has an achrayis to do. And the woman says, I'm doing what uh, other housewives or, or working-wise are doing in a, in a house too. But the key really is, is that may be true, but you're lacking the commitment between the two of you, the loyalty and friendship and trust and, 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 and honesty between the two of you to stick it out thick and thin no matter what. There's no grass greener on the other side. This is it. I am following, following this adventure wherever it takes me, wherever it takes us. And that is the problem. You know, they'll always be in marriage. And even in the good marriages, you'll come to a point in your relationship. Hashem brings nesiyanis to us sometimes. Things do get, get difficult from time to time. When the other person, your husband or wife, annoys you, hurts your feelings, lets you down. And in that dark moment, when you're upset, when you're disappointed, you may wonder, did I cho- choose the right rabbit to follow down the right rabbit hole? And you may, may mo- wonder... Could I do better than this person who is in front of me right now, annoying me or hurting me or letting me down? And the fact is that couples that are truly committed to each other don't even have a havamina of putting one foot out the door. Both feet are planted indoors in the house. They're invested. It gets hard or they hurt each other sometimes and and there are bumps in the road, but all their eggs are in this basket. That's it. Their eggs are in this basket. They don't threaten to leave when things get tough. Instead, they say, let's work it out. If they can't work it on their own, they'll go to the third party, but they'll work together to go there. They don't sp- spend time thinking that their ideal partner is out there somewhere, out there, that fantasy person that'll be easier to live with or more easy that, or more better at filling my needs than this real, very real human being, this flawed person that's their husband or their wife that they're choosing now or they should choose now or they will choose now to love and honor and cherish forever so the key really is that if things aren't going well in the relationship they voice their concerns in a healthy way but they voice their concerns to each other instead of complaining to somebody else that's not that, that, that is where it is. You connect with each other. And you work it out with each other. It requires vulnerability. It scares people. It scares people to be vulnerable. Many men I know have that problem, but women have that problem too. Alice in Wonderland. You know, what, 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 you know, what, what will happen there? You know, and so on. There's always doubts. But you gotta, these are normal fears. But, and you're going to have these fears. But this is the idea, is you jump in. If people would wait to get married until they fully know or fully, they'll never get married. They won't, they won't have kids. They're afraid to have kids. They'll be afraid to do anything in life. You jump in, and this is it, and we're going to make the most of it. And, you know, when, we, when we're in dating, you know, infatuation, falling in love, 
you know, there we are at our best behaviors. There we see the healthy sides of ourselves. But then what happens is, is we become more who we really are, which means we're good people but with flaws. We become more transparent, more vulnerable. None of us have it all together. Everyone has mishigasin. He uses the word idiosyncrasies. All of us have mishigasin. All of us have insecurities. And, and, and the key really is, is that the more honest we are with each other, the more we can discover that our husband or wife loves us for who we are. Not an idealized version of us uh, that may have been there when we were first dating. And this vulnerability creates trust, which is built over time. How is it built over time? Like we talked about at the end of last year, and this is what this year is about. Trust is built over time by lots of conversations, like the ones that Ben and Leah had in that story we mentioned in the last year, the ones we're going to talk about in this book. It's the backdrop of any relationship, certainly of marriage. Trust is a verb and a noun. It happens every time, these little moments, when we show our husband and wife, I'm here for you. We're together, we're a team. Small moments, day in and day out, of attuning to our husband and wife, listening like a friend. I'm an ally. It's us together. And let's say we do experience a negative emotion. We feel some sadness or anger or fear. Okay? We work through it with each other. There's a mutual trust with one another. And we, 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 we really, really need to understand this. And then he's going to explain 10 ways how people break trust most often and to avoid. Number one is not showing up on time. Number two is not making their husband or wife a priority. Number three is not being there when their husband or wife is hurting or is not well. Number four is not contributing to the well-being of the family union, meaning you're looking at the me versus the we. Number five, not keeping promises. Number six, keeping secrets from one another. Number seven, lying to each other. Number eight, humiliating or putting down your husband and wife, whether in public or in private. Number nine, committing an act of emotional infidelity or physical infidelity. And number ten is being physically violent. Those are ten, and believe that if I remember, I'll put that PDF there, because it's important to fight this like the plague and do the opposite. When your wife or husband needs you, you do your best to show up up on time wherever you need to be, to make them the priority, to be there when they're not feeling well or they're ill to look at yourself with her or with him as a family union, keep, keep your promises, be honest with each other, not keep secrets with, from one another. This separate shear will give on, on does that, that doesn't mean you have to say everything that's in your, in your head, no. We'll talk about it in a different shear what it means, but it means important things that you know you need to share, you don't keep secret. Not lying, instead telling, being truthful, honesty is the main thing, even if it says by the way, this is a separate share. I'm just going off a tangent for a minute. That doesn't you you use that with sensitivity and with subtleness, but it can't be the, the relationship has to be based on a truthfulness. You, the is not an excuse to say that because of 
Shalom, you're allowed to change the truth somewhat, that you built your whole relationship with your husband and wife with, with lies. That's not what it means. Avram and, and, and for example, with Avram and Sarah, and everything in their relationship was based on an emes. Changed from Adoni Zokin, Anizokanti, Adoni Zokin to Anizokanti, the subtle thing as sensitivity, but overall you're, you're, it's a truthful relationship. And you, instead of humiliating, putting down your husband and wife, you build them up and you're loyal and faithful to each other. And you never ever halila hurt the other person, not physically or not emotionally. And these are the questions you ask yourself and they ask each other. Do you cherish me? They learn to cherish each other. How important am I to you? Do I come first in your life? Will you take me for granted? That's one nice, important discussion to have between a husband and wife. Let's talk about things. Here's one of those things where I want to express Hakaras Atoyf to you that I normally take for granted. It's been, we've been married for 10 years, 15 years, whatever, however long we're married, I never really expressed this to you because I took it for granted and I want to thank you for all these things that you've done for me. Or are you looking around for someone better than me? doesn't necessarily have to be sexual. It just has to be that, 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 that thought process is also very unhealthy. You could have emotional affair and think that it's a ruchniyastik thing. You know, you're upset, for example, that your wife is not on that high religious observance that you want her to be. And you go to someone else's house for Shabbos. And you see someone else's Eishas Chayel. Let's say you're not even, you're barely looking at her even, and, and you're not... You know, so it's not a sexual thing, it's not an emotional tie or anything, but you see the way she uh, dresses royal, with like royalty on Erev Shab- Shabbos and how she stands by the candlelicht and how she davens her uh, with Erlekite and how soft-spoken she is with the children in the Ruchniyastika level and you, oh, you get this idea, okay, that's someone that's better for me. Of course, it usually leads to very unhealthy things besides that. But again, that, that, that's where the Yetzirah traps you. They'll say it's a ruchniyastika thing, you know. I'm looking for someone that actually uh, is machshav tayrim more than my wife is machshav tayrim, and so on and so forth. Will you care for me when I'm upset at, uh, with you, and listen to my concerns instead of turning away? So we see these questions. This builds up when you talk about it, when you address it in these dates that we're talking about. Builds the commitment and trust day in and day in, out, day in and day out. And we cherish every day your husband's positive qualities, your wife's positive qualities. You minimize the importance of the negative qualities. Everyone has flaws. We'll work through them. You look at the Nekudais Taivais, the good points. Hashem wants us to do that. We want every Yom Adin, Hashem to look at our good points, even though He knows we have a lot of flaws. We ask Hashem, please, I know I have my flaws. I know I need to fix it, but please don't judge me based on that. Judge me on the good that I could do, potentially, or the good that I have done. For our spouses, we have to do the same thing. I know I have faults, and you acknowledge it to each other. You have a conversation about it, but I really, really want to commit and, 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 and to look at your good, to look at the good in each other. Then they talk about what, when trust has been broken, how do you deal with that? And with whatever minor trust, we're not talking about if it's a major chalila, a major breach in trust of an of a, of a infidelity, requires 
generally speaking, almost all the time, outside intervention help. There's no question about that. But on other smaller breaks of trust, even if it's a major thing, but it's something that could be worked about, there's different ideas of how to go about fixing it, which believe that I'm going to try to give a PDF on this also, that you could see it, to give specific time and place to talk about it, to express your feelings to each other of how you ex- what you experienced during this breach of t- trust, and you talk without blaming or criticism. You may have been upset initially, and you're very hurt, and you may have yelled and, and, and crying, but right now when you're having this conversation, you're calm, you feel hurt, but you're expressing yourself in a calm way. This is how I felt when you did this, how I felt. And you explained it without blame, and the one who is listening needs to listen, the one who hurt. The one who hurt this is the hard part too. They can't withdraw or blame the, the spouse for something else. I did this, you're right. I was wrong for doing this, but you're wrong for doing that. No, 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 no. The, the, that other thing is for a conversation for a different time. For this that you did wrong, that you know you breached trust, when your wife or husband is expressing that to you, you listen. You don't f- No feedback, no judgment. You listen. Each one describes their point of view about what happened without blaming, without criticizing. They only listen. Empathy. The one who's listening doesn't bring up anything about their own points. They'll bring it up later. Each one will have a turn to speak. We'll talk about that later too. When one speaks and they need may they need to speak to five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, you let them speak and you just listen. You don't interrupt. You want you and this motivation, I have to say no. You let it go. You let the whole fifteen minutes go. You take it calmly, and then you can respond in a calm way on on those things. Again, without the animosity, without blaming. You explain how you felt triggered, how each one of you felt triggered. Very often what happens is uh, that a lack of trust when something happens is overblown and they feel more hurt than they should because they were betrayed in their trust when they were children by their parents or by other friends. And when their husband or wife did this to them, it may have been a minor breach, but they blew a big proportion in their mind because of previous childhood or teenage rejections. In other words, your wife or husband may have done a certain breach of trust with a mild type of rejection, very mild, that in and of itself, it's easy to forgive. But because you were hurt so much by previous hurts by other people in teenage years, childhood years, so you blow what your husband or wife did now out of proportion. And you need to explain that and understand that and zoom in where that's coming from. I'm, I'm, I'm tagging on other hurts to this hurt. And I know I need to stop that. If we're discussing this particular hurt, let's discuss it. And then what happens after discussing this, you both assess how much you contributed to that incident and hold yourself accountable. So the one who hurt, obviously, they say, I'm sorry I hurt you. I feel terrible that I did that. I learned from my mistakes. And going forward, I'll be careful not to do this again. And the one who is hurt also assess how they contributed, which takes a lot of courage. For example, I'll give you an example of what I mean. Let's say one of them was 85% wrong, 95% wrong. But the one that was hurt could still say to the one that hurt them, you know something? You did hurt me. It was wrong. I felt terrible. And I have a right to be emotionally hurt by what you did. But I realize also 
that my response to you, after you hurt me and I yelled back at you, or I called you names, or I was behaving in a very upset way, and I had a right to be upset, but I realized that I was also tense about other things, there were other things bothering me, or I, I other hurts from my teenage years or childhood years cropped up in my head as, as I felt the hurt you did to me, and I overblew it somewhat, and I overreacted in my hurt somewhat. That takes courage. That takes courage, vulnerability, and it's an adult, healthy thing. And you could pat yourself on the back when you do it because it's not easy. When you were hurt and the primary responsibility lies on your husband or wife, but you know you may have not reacted in your responding back and you acknowledge that after his apology or her apology, it's a beautiful thing. And then, of course, you apologize and accept each other's apology. And then you make plans to prevent how, from happening, this happening again. Basically, you tell each other that, that this thing that took place right here and now, how would we prevent this? Next time this situation comes up where I need you to come and you didn't come, where I need you to, the matzah comes similar to this, how are we going to respond? What are we going to do? How are we going to react? And, and, um, and that helps tremendously. So each of these dates is vulnerable, and the trust means that it'll bring you not only closer together, but it will be a building block for a deep, deep relationship that you have for one another, Be'ezus Hashem. And commitment is actually built on thinking and then communicating to each other that they're precious in your eyes. They're not replaceable. They're irreplaceable. In one's mind, as well as in communication, we build a commitment by showing Hakar Satoiv, our gratitude in what we have with our husband, what we have with our wife. No one could hold a candle to them. In our minds, we magnify the positive qualities that they have. We minimize the negative qualities. We communicate that there's no one else out there, no one, no real person, no imagined person that can compare to, to my husband or my wife, they're unique, Hashem gave them to me, and they're special for me, and they have qualities in there that are irreplaceable, that are unique, and that's it. And the opposite, Cholila, you know, could create a lot of hurt and a lot of betrayal. And therefore, we need to understand, and we're going to talk about ways, Bezat Hashem, in the upcoming Shir, he brings 99 ways to cherish your partner. There are millions of ways, they just... Did ninety nine? I'm gonna Hashem, next year go through some of these ninety nine items and make a PDF of it, explain it, and practical applications on this particular date and how to go about it. This date number one of a trust and commitment. Brachanatslacha.